If you would be taking out your Bibles and be turning to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. If you want to put a marker there, we'll be spending a lot of time in the book of Romans this evening. I want to say I'm grateful for the opportunity to work with the congregation here in this preacher training program. Um, ever since I got to talk to the elders last year and they, they called me and asked if I wanted to come and do this training program, I've been looking forward to this. And um, I'm very excited for the opportunity. One of the things that I've always wanted to do ever since I was could start walking and talking was preach the gospel. And a lot of times when someone has that desire to preach the gospel, whether you here have that desire, whether you've asked someone who's had that desire, the question is always raised, why do you want to preach? Why is it that you desire to preach the gospel? You know, that's something I think we need to explore for the next few moments this evening. Why is it that we should preach the gospel? Oftentimes we think about preaching the gospel and we always talk about the preacher and his responsibility in the local congregation. But go to 2 Timothy chapter 2 with me. It is the job of each and every one of us as Christians to teach the gospel to those that are lost. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and in verse 2 it says, "...and the things you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men." who will be able to teach others also. Paul told Timothy here, a preacher in the gospel, to teach others so that those that he teaches could in turn teach even more. It's the job of Christians to make sure that we teach those that are lost. And we need to have a desire to spread the Word of God like Jeremiah did. Go to Jeremiah chapter 20. In Jeremiah chapter 20 and in verse 9, if you're familiar with the book of Jeremiah, he's undergone quite a bit of trials in this book. And, and as he undergoes these trials and these, ad, these adverse circumstances, and as you go throughout the book, he suffered more than, than most in the Old Testament did for the cause of Christ. And here he comes in chapter 9, and he says, I would not make mention of him. Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. You know what he's saying? I think it'd be easier if I just sit down and quit trying to teach, and maybe, just maybe, I wouldn't suffer so much for the cause of Christ. But here's what Jeremiah said, "...but His Word was in my heart like a burning fire, shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I could not." Not just as those that want to preach the gospel as I want to do on a full-time or as Donnie does, but for those that need to spread the gospel regularly to those that are lost in a dying world, we need to have that burning desire of Jeremiah. So I want to explore with you over the next few moments three things from the book of Romans I think show us why we need to teach the gospel. Beginning in Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1 and in verse 16... We should spread the gospel because it is the power of God to salvation. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The first thing Paul talks about the desire to preach the gospel in the book of Romans as he desires to preach the gospel because it is the power of God and the salvation. And, and, and we'll, be, we'll go into more detail in this next week when we begin studying the book of Romans on Sunday morning in our Bible classes. But just real quickly, the context of Romans 1, he's talking about his desire to preach in Rome in verses 8 through 15. Look at the things he mentions, especially beginning at verse 9. 
that without ceasing, the very end of verse 9, I make mention of you always in my prayers, making a request, if by some means, now at last, I may, I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. Verse 10. That's verse 10. Verse 11. For I long to see you. Verse 12. That I may be encouraged together with you by the encouragement both of you and me. Verse 13. Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often plan to come to you. Then he comes down in verse 15 and says, I am ready to preach to the gospel to you who are in Rome also. You see in just those few verses the number of times that he mentions his desire to preach to those that are in Rome. And so this verse, he's coming down in verse 16 and 17, and he's connecting it back to what he's just said. I desire to preach to you that are in Rome. I desire to come to you. I'm ready or eager, depending on your translation, to preach to you. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul is saying, I want to come to you in Rome. I want to preach to you in Rome because the gospel is the power of God and salvation and therefore I am not ashamed of it. We need to be willing to spread the gospel. Paul's point here, I desire to preach in Rome to teach you the gospel because the gospel saves. But I think an important thing to note in this text is the gospel is of Christ. Look at Acts 4 uh, and verse, or excuse me, first look in verse 17, or 16 again. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now go to Acts chapter 4 with me. What we need to note is because the gospel is of Christ, it is in Him and in Him alone that we can have salvation. You're probably very familiar with Acts chapter 4. Here is the time that, that Peter and John are before the Sanhedrin. They're being questioned for the healing of the slave man in chapter 3. And as they're brought before him being questioned, they ask in verse 7, the, the Jewish leaders of the day, by what power or by what name have you done this? And then Peter begins to address them um, in verse 8, Rulers of the people of the elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel by the, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, that very name that Paul mentions in, in Romans chapter 1, here's mentioned by Peter, the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you've crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this man stands here, or by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone referring to Christ, which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Now verse 12. You might want to highlight this. This is a key verse in the Bible. Nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We live in a world where everyone wants to talk about you do it your way and I'll do it mine and in the end we'll all get to heaven. Here's what Peter says in Acts chapter 4 and in verse 12. There is salvation in no other. Only in Christ is there salvation. Only by His name can you be saved. Remember in John chapter 14. In John chapter 14, as Jesus is addressing His apostles the night of His betrayal and the night before His crucifixion. He's talking about in my Father's house or many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be. And remember Thomas in verse 5 says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How then can we know the way? Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we get there? How can we find the way to get there if we don't even know where you're going? Here's Jesus' reply in verse 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Notice there, I'm not a way, a truth, or a way for life. 
Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so it's important for us to note that Jesus is the only way. The gospel of Christ. And He is the way and the only way by which we can have salvation. So we need to preach that gospel so we can have salvation and so we can teach and offer that to others. Real quickly, why is it the power of God to salvation? In verse 16 and 17, it's the power of God to salvation. Why is it the power of God to salvation? Because it reveals God's righteousness. You know, those key words again, the word for that we already mentioned in verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also the Greek. Why is it that verse 16 is true? Verse 17, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. It's God's, reveals God's righteousness. But what in this text is the righteousness of God? It is in this text God's plan to make man righteous. It's that that results from faith. The New King James and the King James translation talk about the just shall live by faith. A quotation there from the book of Habakkuk chapter 2 and in verse 4. But the more accurate translation would be what the English Standard or the New American Standard translates it, the righteous shall live by faith. In that the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, that it is written, the just or the righteous shall live by faith. The point he is making here is when we are righteous and we serve, or when we have faith and we serve God, we are righteous. And we must realize that we need to follow God's plan for righteousness and God's righteousness that is revealed in His Word and not our own righteousness. In Romans chapter 10 and in verse 3, in Romans 10 and in verse 3, he says, For they being ignorant of God's righteousness, and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. And so we need to make sure that we submit to the righteousness of God and not to our own righteousness. We need to submit to God's will for us. I'll tell you a second thing in this epistle. That for another reason that we need to preach the gospel is that all need the gospel. Go to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. In Romans chapter 3, and you know verse 23 very well, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So in this context, what is Paul talking about? Real quickly, we won't again, we'll begin studying Romans next Sunday morning. We will not for time, or for the sake of our study on Sunday morning, go into any great detail, but I want you to notice just a couple of key things throughout the first three chapters of the book of Romans. The book of Romans is focusing on the need for the gospel. Chapter 1, the Gentiles need the gospel. Because in verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness. Look at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and righteousness. He comes out of verse 21 and talks about how they did not glorify God. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Verse 22, professing to be wise, they became fools. In 26 it says, For this reason God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. And in verse 32, as he closes this chapter and he talks about all these sins, he says, "...who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but also prove of those who practice them." And so he deals in chapter 1 and says, "...the Gentiles have sinned and they need the gospel." So he comes into chapter 2 
And he deals with the problem of, well, the Jews are going to begin to get a big head and say, you see, Gentiles, he has said that you've rejected God's will. Look what he says there in verse 1. Therefore you are inexcusable, O man of God, whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. So chapter 2 begins by saying, Jews don't judge the Gentiles. You yourselves are treasuring up for yourselves wrath in verse 5. He comes down in verse 6 and says, God is going to judge you by your deeds. Verse 11, remember, for there is no partiality with God. God's not going to be impartial because you're a Jew and they're a Gentile. All will be judged by their deeds and the judgment will be fair. And so he comes down in verses 21 through 24 and says, you do the very things you condemn. You therefore who teach another do not teach yourselves. You who do, who, who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you as it is written. So in chapter 2 he says, listen Jews, you've sinned as well. The Gentiles sinned in chapter 1 and chapter 2. Jews don't get a big head. You sinned too. So chapter 3, the point is, for all have sinned, therefore all need the gospel. And he comes down in verse 9 of chapter 3 and begins to talk about how all have sinned and goes through verse 20 talking about that. Look at some of the key phrases here. Verse 9, or excuse me, rather verse 10. There are none that are righteous, no, not one. Look down in verse 12. They have all gone out of the way. Look again in verse 12. There is none who does good. No, not one. Verse 18. There is no fear of God before their eyes. He lists several things here about them. And again in verse 20. Therefore by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in His sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. See, as he goes through chapter 3, he says, listen. All have sinned. There's none that are righteous. They've all turned aside. None do good. None fear. There's no fear of God before them, and no flesh can be justified by the old law. So he comes down in verse 21, and he says that the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. Verses 21 through 31 are really focusing in on the need for man to be justified of his sins. If man has sinned, then he needs to be forgiven of his sin in order to stand clean and pure in God's sight. More about that in a moment. Just notice a couple of key things with me first, and then I'll make some application. In verse 21, the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. In verses 22 through 23, it's available to all for all have sinned. Even the righteousness of God, which is through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. Why is there no difference? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God in verse 23. And since all have sinned, there was need that there be forgiveness of sins, so there is a propitiation in Jesus Christ in verses 24 and 25. Now, Here's why that's important. Here's why we need to desire to preach the gospel. We've already seen we need to preach the gospel because it's the power of God and the salvation. The need for salvation is all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that sin has separated us from God. That sin has separated us from God. Go to Isaiah 59. Isaiah chapter 59. You know the passage well. Isaiah 59, 1 through 3. Isaiah chapter 59. Verses 1 through 3. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, 
nor his ear heavy that he cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated you from God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken lies, your tongues have muttered perversity. Here's the point that he's making in this text. Sin has separated you from God. It's not that God's hand is so short He can't reach out to you. It's not that God is hard of hearing and is ear heavy that He cannot hear what you're saying. It's that your iniquities, your sins, the things that you have done have put a division between you and between God so that He will not hear you. And we live in a lost and a dying world. Remember the point that we just saw from Romans chapter 3? All have sinned. Reminded of the passage where Jesus is talking to the apostles and they bring him back the food after they, they go out to find some. And he, and he points out and says that the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. There's a lost and a dying world out there that is in need of the gospel. And what we as Christians need to do is go out there and share the gospel with them. There are plenty of people in the world to hear the gospel, but we need to be able to go out and to share the gospel with them. If we do so, then they can hear the Word of God preached and they may come to Christ. I think oftentimes we're afraid of failing. We're afraid that if we, if we teach the gospel and, and we go we talk to somebody, that, that we may be rejected for the message that we preached. Go back to the beginning of what we mentioned with Jeremiah. Jeremiah says, listen, I've been rejected... And all the things he's gone through, and we're just early on in Jeremiah. At that point, you go throughout the entire book and all the things that Jeremiah suffered. And Jeremiah says, I think it'd be easier if I just sat down and was quiet and quit preaching the gospel, but I realized there was a need for the gospel. There was a need that people need to hear it. People needed to hear this message preached. People needed to hear about the impending destruction on Jerusalem. People in Jeremiah needed to hear so they could repent and make a change. Jeremiah says, the word burned within me. I realized I was rejected. But in the end, I continued to preach the gospel. I think about all the, the prophets that preached. How many times they were basically told, listen, you need to go out, you need to teach the gospel to those that are lost, but I'm telling you, before you go out and you teach, and before you go out and preach, nobody's going to listen. Well, then what's the point in getting up and going? What's the point of going and preaching the gospel? And yet they continue to do that. They continued to do that, though some of those that were in the gospel, that, that, that preached the, the, of the prophets, were sawn in two with the sword. Supposedly Isaiah was. There were people like Jeremiah that may have been cast into pits and carried away by the people to Egypt. There were those that suffered many things like Daniel that was thrown into the mouth of a lion den for praying to God. Many times those of times past have suffered because they tried to take a stand for what is right and they wanted to teach those that were in a lost and dying world. The question we need to ask ourselves is, what could man do to us that would keep us? Man is out there. They are separated from God. They've all sinned. And so we need to be willing to share the gospel with them. Their sin that has separated them from God has not only separated them in that God will not hear their prayers. Go to Romans chapter 6 with me. Look at Romans chapter 6. Again, you know the passage well. Romans chapter 6. It begins with a question. He ends chapter 5 by talking about the grace of God where sin, abounded, uh, where sin abounded, grace abounded more. And he deals with the question of, well, everybody's going to say, well, shall we continue in sin so grace may abound? And he goes throughout this chapter and talks about how they don't need to continue in sin. And as he comes to the latter half of that chapter, he says, what fruit do you have in the things of which you are now ashamed? Talking about the way they used to live. 
For the end of these things is death. But now having been set free from sin, you've become slaves of God. You have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. Listen, the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so man is in a lost and dying world. He's separated from God in that he cannot pray to God. He's separated from God in that if he continues in his current state, he's lost for all of eternity. And so there was a sacrifice needed, as Romans 3 points out, whom God set forth as propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness because of His forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. If you're familiar, in the old law, the priest would go in once a year and sprinkle the blood on the Ark of the Covenant in the Holiest of Holies. And he would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat there on the Ark of the Covenant. That word that in the Septuagint is rendered mercy seat in the Old Testament, the Greek word, is the same word that is used here by Paul in Romans chapter 3 for what describing Jesus. He's the propitiation. He's the mercy seat. He's the atoning victim for us. He offered Himself by His blood that we could have the hope of heaven, that we could be justified, that God could be both just and the justifier, Romans chapter 3 points out. And so what we've got to do is to to live a life of service to Him, and we need to go out and teach those that are lost so they can have that hope. Why don't you think about uh, something with me for a second. Suppose you were sick. Suppose you went to the doctor tomorrow and were diagnosed with a terminal illness. They told you you had six months to live. And then you get a call next week that they found a cure for the illness that you suffer from. Are you willing to take the treatment? They're not sure that it could work, but they're, they're pretty sure it could work. They have a guess it might work. Are you willing to try it? After all, you only have six months to live anyway. Why not? Spiritually speaking, we were dead. Spiritually speaking, we were lost in our sins and our trespasses. And God has offered us a cure. Now, let's suppose that after you take this treatment, you're cured. You're better. Somebody you work with is diagnosed with the same terminal illness next year. They don't know about this new treatment. Are you going to tell them about it? Are you going to tell them there's this new treatment that could help you to get better? I'm sure we would. I'm sure we would all tell somebody that for their physical life's sake that they could live longer. Now here's the question. We've been in a state of sin. We've lived a life of serv- uh, that was not pleasing to God. We've been forgiven of our sins. We've received that cure spiritually. And so, now we go out and those that we work with, those that we come in contact with, those of the world are lost. They're dying spiritually speaking. They have eternal death if they do not turn from their sins. And we have in God's Word the cure. We have exactly what they need to be forgiven of their sins. We have a message that we can give to them that can help them and we can see them someday in heaven. My question is, why wouldn't we want to share that with someone else? Why wouldn't we want to give it to them? Just like physically speaking, we would tell them of the cure. Spiritually speaking, we need to do the same thing. We ought to be on fire for the Lord to share His message with those that are lost. The Scriptures point out over and over again of Jesus and His sacrifice. And we've got to share that message. 
Remember in Acts chapter 8, the Ethiopian eunuch, as he goes along the side of the road and he's reading from, from Isaiah 53, and Philip comes to him and asks him if he understands what he's reading, and he says, how can I unless someone guides me? And so here, Philip, from this Scripture in verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this Scripture, preached Jesus to him. Here's a devout man. Here's a eunuch who's come all this way, quite a long trip, to come and serve God. Here's a man that now is continuing this long trip back to his home country, who's continuing to study the Word of God. And Philip comes to him, and beginning from that Scripture, that Scripture that he was struggling with, taught him Jesus Christ. Notice a few things that he taught him. Beginning of the Scripture, he taught him Jesus. Now when they went down and they came to some water, the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? From that Scripture, he's learned that he now needs to be baptized. Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may, he answered, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Here's what Philip taught him. Philip taught him of Jesus and his life that he lived. I don't know what all Philip said, but Philip taught him of Jesus, how he came, he lived, and he died. That he is the Son of God, proven once and for all by the resurrection from the dead. And so what we need to do is we need to believe on him to change our way of life, to confess that He is the Son of God, and to be buried in baptism that we can have forgiveness of life. That's the message of the Scripture that Philip teached. That's the message of the Scripture that we need to be going out and teaching those that are lost. That's the focus of the entire Scripture is about Jesus. The Old Testament is focusing on the fact that Jesus is coming. The Gospels on the fact that Jesus is here. And then the epistle from Acts through the end of the Bible is focused on the fact that Jesus is coming again to do is we need to live in light of that second coming and we need to be teaching others about that. We need to be opening unto them the Bible and teaching them of Jesus and all that that entails. But in conclusion this evening, we need to teach others because without the gospel they cannot have faith. Probably the first memory verse for many of us was Romans chapter 10 and in verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That passage is, in that context, dealing with the fact that many of not that those that haven't obeyed the gospel need to how they have to first hear. Go back to verse fourteen. And they call on him. How shall they call on him on whom they've not believed? Verse thirteen talks about for all that call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse fourteen. How can they call on him on whom they have not believed? How can they believe of him on whom they have not heard? Okay, we all agree to this point, right? We're all going to agree that you need to hear about Jesus Christ. You need to believe on Him before you can call on the name of the Lord. Listen to what Paul says. And how shall they hear without a preacher? We need to be willing to spread the gospel. We all know that faith is important. Hebrews chapter 11 and in verse 6. But without faith, that great chapter of faith, It talks about faith over and over again. By faith, the acts that people did. Here's how in verse 6 how it is at the beginning. By Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. You know it's impossible to please God unless you first have faith. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. You want to be pleasing to God, you have to start with faith. In John chapter 8 and verse 24 says, Therefore I say to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. Those very sins that we've been talking about that everyone has, if we do not believe in Jesus Christ, then we will die in our sins. Our friends and our neighbors will die in their sins unless they've heard the message preached and believe it. 
The only way that this faith can be established is by hearing the Word of God. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Again, Romans 10, 17. And one is not going to hear unless someone shares that message with them. Again, verse 14. How then shall they call on Him on whom they have not believed? How shall they believe on Him on whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? We sometimes sing a song. I think it's in the, in the, in the uh, hymns for worship. It's like number 460. And, and you know, it talks about Christ has no hands but our hands to do His, His will today. It's titled, I believe it's a world Bible. And the idea is that there's a lost and a dying world out there. And how do I know that my neighbor, how do I know that my co-worker, how do I know that that friend I go to school with, how do I know that that person I started talking to in Walmart that one day, how do I know the only way they're not ever going to hear the Gospel is unless I share it with them? So that song is really telling us and focusing on, we need to focus on teaching others the Bible because we don't know but that we're the only way they're, they're ever going to hear. I like singing hymns. I enjoy going to singings and things like that. But one of the saddest songs to me is you never mentioned Him to me. Can you think about in the judgment day as you stand there Say so you're, right, you're, you're waiting to be judged and in goes your neighbor who's never obeyed the Gospel. Right before you goes your co-worker. And here are people that you know are lost. And here are people that you had more than enough opportunity to teach, but yet we didn't. Yet we did not take the opportunities to teach them the Gospel. How about standing in the judgment day when they're told to that they will enter into to depart from me, you that practice lawlessness. If they were to turn around and look at you and say, you never mentioned Him to me. You knew all along I was lost. You knew all along what my end was. You all along knew the cure. You all along knew what I needed. And yet in the end, you never mentioned Him to me. When we preach the Gospel, those that can believe can call on the name of the Lord, Romans 10 and in verse 13 and 14. I've had this desire ever since I was young to preach the Gospel. Why have I had that desire? Because it's the power of God and the salvation. It is the way, the only way by which men can be saved. I've had the desire to preach it because we live in a lost and dying world where all have sinned, so all need the Gospel. And the only way they're ever going to respond in obedience to the Gospel is if they hear that message preached and establish faith in God. And the only way they may ever hear it preached is if I'm willing to share it with them or you're willing to share it with them. So the question then is not why preach the Gospel. The question at this point really is why would we not want to preach the Gospel? We have a hope in heaven. We have a hope, as Donnie talked about this morning, far greater than there are many others. We can have assurance knowing that we have faithfully served God to the end of our lives. We have assurance in the Bible that if we live in the manner that God has prescribed in His will, we have that home in heaven. We need to be willing to share that with others so that they too can have that hope and we too can be united forever in heaven singing around God's throne. It may be that there is present here this evening one or more that has never responded in obedience to the Gospel. If you've heard the Word and you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, why would you not want to have that hope of heaven? Why would you not want to have your sins washed away? Having heard the Word, if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, you're not willing to repent of your sins, to confess your faith in Him and be buried in the waters of baptism, to rise and walk in a newness of life so you can have heaven someday? 
Maybe you're here and you're a Christian, but somewhere along the line you've, you've not served God as faithfully as you should and you need prayers of the congregation on your behalf for forgiveness. No matter what your need is, if you're here this evening and we can assist you in any way, would you not come forward as together we stand and as we sing?